Hideous Laughter Productions proudly presents Bestow Curse, a Pathfinder 2nd Edition actual play podcast telling the epic fantasy tale Curse of the Crimson Throne. The Cursed Campaign begins now. We fade in and pan over a long, dormant volcano. It's caldera filled with a massive sapphire lake. In the center of the placid waters rises an immense gothic castle made of white and gray marble. From the middle of the castle juts a star-shaped tower, a jagged structure of dark stone that looks as if it was stabbed into the earth by some ancient giant centuries ago. We pan across the bridge, which extends hundreds of feet from shore to castle, our vision flanked by menacing gargoyles and the signs of battle. Bodies and the burnt remnants of cast spells litter the bridge on the way to the castle's portcullis. We continue through a long central hall where it appears this battle fought on. Signs of struggle mar the otherwise pristine promenade ornate furniture lying in splinters, and various works of art splattered with blood on the walls. We enter beautiful 15-foot-tall wooden double doors etched with depictions of bodies in chains, and we find ourselves in the great hall of the castle. Thick wooden columns support this 40-foot-tall vaulted chamber. All of the lines in this room lead to an elaborate bloodstone throne, but the throne is empty. The fire pit in this room still burns, and now we can hear the sounds of battle echoing from deeper within the castle. Following the sound, we arrive on eight heroes in the throes of combat. A woman in resplendent golden full plate strikes down at the horde of castle guardsmen, her holy symbol, the scales of law and order, flaring to a radiant burst on the front of her shield. An elven sorceress calls upon the power of her blood, and black tentacles erupt across the floor, snaring her foes in their grasp. The ensnared foes are then cut down by the great axe of a hulking Kellid man as he enters a rage and transforms into a shaggy werewolf. His howl causes some of the other guardsmen to flee. Those attempting to escape are suddenly dropped into a pit that appears out of nowhere, and a wizened old man, grasping his tome of spells, appears just as suddenly near the hall's ceiling. Further down the hallway, we see a monk priest of Irori back to back with a dashing scoundrel wielding rune-etched scimitars in each hand. They fend off waves of approaching guards to make way for a Shawanti man and a knight of last wall. As the pair approach, a huge barred door, the Shawanti man taps into the energy of his ancestors and we see spirits surround him as his eyes burn with amber energy. The burst of this spiritual power throws the doors off their hinges. 
The knight then raises his blade towards the empty room and enters. We see in front of us a dark-haired man in deep blue armor, sitting on a golden and bejeweled throne. This circular room extends nearly 50 feet across, and a huge skylight causes sunlight to glint off the assorted wealth in this room. The man in the chair rises and begins to slowly clap. Well done, Mandravius. I can see you and your little band of misfits have made it to my chambers. Unfortunately, this is where your journey ends. The knight's sword begins to glow as he responds to the man. I know what you really are, you tyrant. Show us your true form, deceiver. Very well, then. The man's skin begins to slough off his frame, but blood, muscle, and bone do not appear beneath. Instead, a set of dazzling blue scales are revealed as the man assumes his true form, that of a massive blue dragon. I am Gazlevon. Your anguish will please the Midnight Lord. Scarwall will be your tomb. With this, a burst of electricity lights up the chamber, and we fade. We fade back in. The eight heroes tired but triumphant over the dragon Kazavan. However, the creature's body relentlessly tries to knit itself together again, vying for its immortality. The heroes of Scarwall decide to split the body into seven pieces, scattering the great worm's remains across the world of Galarian. The knight Mandravius remains in the castle as we watch his allies depart with their tainted relics. We follow the Shawanti man, who's taking Kazavan's fangs. He travels to many tribes of his people to seek counsel with the elders on how best to destroy this relic. Finally, we see him, along with his own tribe, approach a great flat-top pyramid. The man enters alone and never returns. We fast forward through the centuries of his tribe guarding the site. Eventually, settlers with red sails arrive and drive the Shuanti people away from their home. A settlement arises, first a small colony, then a town, then a city, all built around this great pyramid. Finally, we see an immense castle erected on top of the Grand Mastaba, flying a flag in crimson and black that reads Troskar Ep Stirk under a crest of hippogriffs. We pan into the castle to see an aging king atop a crimson throne, his beautiful young wife beside him. Above them, a title appears, Bestow Curse. Hey everybody, and welcome to the Bestow Curse podcast. Yeah! Yes! 
I am your game master and host, Griffin, and I am so thrilled to bring this show to your ears. Before we get going on the first installment, I want to go around the table and introduce everybody that's going to be playing in this game. Let's start to my left. Sure. Hey, folks, my name's Steve Strapple. Done a little podcasting in my past. So excited to be here. Really, really stoked to play some Bestokers tonight. All right. I am Chris. I'm probably the newest member of this group. You guys have been playing your one pod for a while, and I am a new face on this brand new 2 show. It's quite exciting. And I'm Haley. I was on the original flagship HLP show. Really, really, really excited to play AV that I have been dying to play. No, you may still die while playing. <laughs> I might. Of course. Of course. <laughs> I'm Emily. I am also on the original flagship show that's first edition, and I'm really excited to play second edition. I think this is going to be a lot of fun, a little change. Absolutely, a little conversion. Getting one of the most sought after first edition adventure paths and changing it up to the new stuff. We're truly pioneers in our field. Oh, yeah. Nobody's ever done that before. (laughs) We We are. We are. Yes. Yeah, we are all converting this. Yes, all of us. Uh, The the Gregorian we. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am so thrilled to have you all at my table, and I am so thrilled to start this adventure path. Where I want to start us, though, I mean, you you just saw that that scene unfold. But I want to start us on the city of Corvosa, because this is going to be our bread and butter through this campaign. It's going to be the most important locale and the locale where all of your characters have ties. So let me get us a little little bird's eye view here. Corvosa, or Little Cheliax as it's sometimes known, is the largest city in Varesia, home to nearly 20,000 inhabitants. The city sits in a double bend of the Jugare River in southeastern Varesia, just before the river empties into Conqueror's Bay. The oldest part of the city is located on Endrin Isle, a relatively small spit of land, while the majority sits on the mainland across the narrows of St. Alika. Two smaller neighborhoods, Thief's Camp and Eve Shore, lie on the eastern shore of the Jugare River, and the city itself is built around two major hills. Garrison Hill on Endrin Isle, and Citadel Hill on the mainland. The small Jagare Isle lies off the southeastern coast of the city and holds little but Palin's lighthouse, lighting the way for travelers into Corvosa. The city is split into seven districts. We pan down the austere streets of East Shore, where the buildings sit rank and file, much like their military inhabitants. The only oddity we see is the whizzing and popping of magical spells from Thermonexus College, where students of the arcane practice their spells out in the open. As we cross High Bridge, we enter Midland, the bustling market district of Corvosa. The sights, sounds, and smells in Eadred's Square and down Eadred's Walk entice many a visitor to part with their hard-earned gold. And what visitors? The patrons and inhabitants of Midland comprise nearly every race and culture on Galarian. Citadel Volshnik sits as a stern reminder of the Corvosan Guard's presence in Midlands, deterring criminal elements from disrupting the commerce. As we continue down the streets to the south, the noise and bustle fades into silence. Graves and mausoleums dot the landscape of the Grey District 
which stands still and quiet during the day. The Grand Cathedral of Phrasma, the goddess of death, sits in the center of this district. The only living inhabitants here are the clerics of Phrasma, who call the sprawling Gothic building home and tend to the graves of the city's dead. Leaving the gloom, we head west to the area known as South Shore. The newest district in Corvosa, South Shore boasts more room for its residents to spread out. Varying architectural styles dot the landscape, buildings commissioned by the city's new money elite. The Pantheon of the Many reflects this very design philosophy. The House of Worship acts as a church to many of the well-known gods of Galarian. We pan up once more, past the tops of buildings to the other side of town, where we settle in North Point. This district houses the municipal structures in Corvosa, including City Hall, the Courts, and the Bank of Abadar, the god of commerce and civilization. The buildings here offer stark contrast to those in South Shore, as North Point was the first settled area of Corvosa on the mainland. Old money runs deep, and nearly all of the buildings have a stark, chelish design. We pan west, across the narrows of St. Alica, to the island of Old Corvosa. This den of villainy and sin is the most run-down and dangerous area of Corvosa. Much of the island is a shantytown, and some of the area's poor were forced to expand vertically because of overcrowding. These tenements, built on the roofs of other buildings, are known as the shingles. Crime runs rampant in Old Corvosa, and only one noble family, the Arconas, make their home here. In stark contrast, the final district of Corvosa shares the Jigare River as a border with Old Corvosa to keep the riffraff out. From the Heights District, which sits on Citadel Hill, we can look down upon the rest of Corvosa. And that's just what the nobles who live here do. This district is where King Eadred lives, high upon the Grand Mastaba, an ancient flat-top pyramid centuries older than the city itself. Only a few other structures rival Castle Corvosa upon its perch. But the Hall of Summoning is one of them. It's situated in Corvosa's gated magical school, known only as the Academy. And with this aerial grand tour of the city, we fade back to Old Corvosa, specifically to the Old Docks District. We scan over the urban district of Old Corvosa and see the lights sparingly on as many of the inhabitants sleep soundly despite the activity around them. The bars, pleasure houses, gambling dens, and other areas of ill repute are most active when the innocent sleep. Panning into a small street, not much bigger than an alley, Blossom Way is full of small businesses that are dark and closed for the night. The pathetic excuse for street lamps barely light the way when they're even used. Before these people are seen, they're heard. The hurried steps of a child following a man down the street create a soft pitter-patter sound against the cobblestone. Don't worry, kid. She'll get you fixed up says the man. They walk up to a small shop named Badger and Blade and pull a thin cord that rings a bell in the room above the shop. A small badger springs up at the sound of the bell and jumps on a woman as he attempts to wake her. Biggie, leave me be. I'm tired. 
comes a voice from under the covers. Figgy persists, and a half-orc woman sits up. Rubbing her face and eyes, she takes a deep breath, looks around the room, and quickly realizes what's about to happen. She throws on something quick and runs down the stairs, not bothering even to turn on the light. Scurrying to the door, she unlocks it and sees a child with an arm bent at an unnatural angle. And a man. The man stands there, hair cropped short, his leather armor adorned with chain spider webs, and he has this spider insignia in the center of his breastplate. He's tall and gruff-looking, has several scars from a life hard-lived. And as the doors opened, this woman would say, Devargo, another child. Head to the back. I'll be right there. Locking the door, she takes a pause, starts to light up the room, and goes towards the back. She walks through her own shop, seeing the blood trailing her guests, and already knowing it's going to be a long night. She's going to have to clean that before her first appointment arrives. No one likes seeing blood in the barber shop. Through the back curtain, a table is set up, with a variety of medical instruments around it, and a blood-stained apron is hanging up. For this child, she hides the apron. The world's brutal enough without a visual reminder. She looks at the child up and down, and she looks directly at the man and says, What happened this time? Well, you know, a child was caught picking pockets at Eel's end. Uh, One of my men broke his arm. Idiots. I swear, I swear, you can't get good help these days. As you look, you do see the child's arm broken at the wrist. What do you think? Can you help him? I, I'll help. I'll be gentle, but hold him down. Movement's not going to help. All right. So you ask DeVargo to hold the child down. Make me a perception check. Perception's pretty high for me. Yeah, you're a wisdom-based class. <laughs> so that makes sense. Well, I only rolled an eight on the die, which is really low, but luckily I have a plus seven to perception. So that does bring me up to a 15. You can see that DeVargo is only using his... He's using his left arm to help hold the child down. Every time he tries to raise his right arm, he seems to just wince and grimace and give it a rest. Do I notice any blood on the child? No. It looks like a it looks like a standard just break. Nothing no bone has poked through the skin. If you're going to heal this child, I need you to make me a heal check. Okay. Yeah. And that is the plan. She's going to try and reset this arm. <laughs> I'm going to help this child. I've yeah. got a 19 on the die. Oh, plus great. 7, so a, six, or a 26. Uh, so for this check, that is actually a critical success in Pathfinder 2E. So you've done such a good job setting this child's arm and splinting, like figuring out the splint. Uh, I assume you have items in your back room that would allow you to create a splint. Absolutely. Uh, If you didn't, I would even say with that kind of role, you probably were able to fashion one. 
but the child barely notices with that kind of check you're actually able to distract them and set the arm really fast and splint it and the child hardly sheds many tears you've done a great job Mia I I appreciate it I I can't stand when children are harmed me either I'd prefer if we stop having the children coming in but I don't want them to go unaided. Well, <laughs> that's why I bring them to you. I know you'll always fix them up. I hate having to do so, but just know that the man who did this paid dearly for what he did. Good. At this point, the boy smiles at you. Thank you so much, miss. I already feel a lot better. You should be feeling better. But that arm is going to be no good for a while. You can see that his face kind of drops. It looks like he's worried about that. I have something for you. And he, with his good arm, hands you a card. Looks like a card. Okay. Bigger than a playing card, but do you have occultism? No. You're not really sure what kind of card this is. Okay. But if you look in front of you, Haley, uh, there's a card. Yes, there is. Like in real life? There is a card oh, right here. Oh, Hallmark. <laughs> what, I, what is that card? I have um, the midwife, which is a hero card. Mm-hmm. And it's a neutral good hero card. Which suit? The stars? I believe this would be wisdom because it is a star. Mir takes the card in her hand and she turns it over and there's actually a note scrawled on the back. It says, I know what Gadrin has done to you. He's wronged me as well. I know where he dwells, yet cannot strike at him. Come to my house at 3 Lancet Street tomorrow at sunset. Others like you will be there. Gadrin must face his fate, and judgment must be done. But where'd you get this? I grabbed it off the man in Eel's End. It was in his pocket. I don't know why, I just feel like I had to give it to you. Well, thank you, but there'll be no more no more pickpocketing for you for a while. <sighs> I don't know what I'll do. DeVargo looks concerned. At this as well, uh, and you can see from I'll roll over your perception. He is like wincing and having a tough time right now. I I don't know where this child comes from. I, I'll take him back wherever he asks me to go, but I worry he doesn't have a stable home. I don't always have a lot of business, but. You can come sweep the hair and I'll feed you. Thank you, miss. When should I be by? Every day at eight. In the morning. (laughs) (laughs) A.M. or (laughs) P.M.? I don't know the glaring equivalent of A.M. and (laughs) P.M. At that, DeVargo kind of cracks a smile. He's been wincing and kind of circling around the fact for a while, and he finally just kind of works up to it. 
Mir, I, I think I, I need some of your help as well. You don't have to be gentle with me, but I'm hurt. He pulls his sleeve up on his right arm, and you see a massive gash. Uh, it looks like it's in the shape of tooth marks, and it goes from mid-bicep to forearm. Can I acknowledge nature? You certainly If it could. looks like tooth marks? Oh. It's kind of my thing, although I rolled very poorly. Um, I did roll a five on the die, but I have another plus seven to that, so... Twelve? Yeah. I think twelve is enough for a local to know. That looks like the bite of a jigsaw shark. Oh, shit. You know, they're they're native to the Jigare River. A, a what now? They're called jigsaw sharks. They have kind of the that jagged... Um, jagged nose like a sawtooth shark has. Oh, They're called okay. jigsaw sharks. Damn. Well, what happened to you? That's that's a shark. Well, do you remember when I said one of my men broke this child's arm? I. You just said it? Yes, so out on eel's end, you know, we're on the dock. The jigsaw sharks, they like to they like to swim right off the dock for any scraps or any drunks that fall off the side. And I could not let this stand. It is a rule for me that you do not harm children. Children should not be at ill's end, but if they are, even pickpocketing from you is not an excuse to break a child's arm. So I took this man and I cut my wrist and I held him just off the dock to wait and see if the sharks would come and they did and as I held this man under they ate him but my arm was caught it it does hurt but hopefully you can help me out make it better child go to the other room and she's going to close the, like, back shop, have him sit out in the front. She's going to put on her apron. It's covered in, in stains. This has clearly been well used. And she's going to get out her tools. She's going to take care of it. So I would ask for a heel check. Are, you're a you're barber background, correct? That's correct. I'm going to stitch this man up. Would you like to use risky surgery? That's that is in fact the game plan here. I will use my risky surgery. So what that means is when I am treating wounds, I will be dealing damage and then I'll be treating wounds and even if I get a regular success, I do get a critical success instead. Okay. Give me the roll. So the DC for a medicine check to treat wounds is usually 15. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is what I'll go with this time. I'm not trying. I don't think I need to. He's not like about to die. So I'm not trying to heal him extra big. 14 on the die plus seven is going to be 21. So okay. So with risky surgery, that's a crit success. Nice. Yep. 
Um, he has eight slashing damage as I... She maxed out the slashing damage. <laughs> cut off his arm. Jesus. His, his arm falls to the ground. Well, no. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to cut off any any sections that I look uh, that look like almost undan- or unrepairable type of skin. It's too gnawed, and so I'm kind of cut that off so I can uh, sew it back together, and I, I went a little deep. Hold still. Got to maim you real quick. And I'll get <laughs> yes. <you on. laughs> so how much healing do you actually do? A lot, actually. Uh, we'll do... I need more D8s. 4D8? Yeah, so I have a critical success, so it's 4D8. And the wound, wounded condition, if he had one, is going to be removed. Yeah, so it's possible you do more damage than you heal. It is possible. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. How many not, ones are in that pile? Not probable. 18 points of healing. So 10 points of healing. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's good. DeVargo, like, I think he has a piece of leather he brings to your place specifically, and he bites down on it as you perform this risky surgery, but you succeed at fixing his arm uh, and bandaging it up. I'd probably have an extra supply of leathers, too, and, like, alcohol in my surgery room. I bring my own leathers. I don't (laughs) like the leathers that other people bite down on, you know. Um, And as this is happening... It's a bloodier scene than normal in your shop. I mean, this has happened before, but it's not super common. And Figgy, your badger animal companion, gets excited. Uh, I think he's been sniffing DeVargo's pockets, and he's like... And he, like, once DeVargo sits up, he, he kind of raises up onto his back legs with his front paws bent and just kind of at DeVargo and you see DeVargo reaches into his leathers and actually pulls out a weirdly sewn silk pouch. Looks like spider thread. Is this a drug sniffing badger? (laughs) And when he opens it up it has fresh bugs inside. Alive. Lots of worms, right? Yes, and Figgy just chows down. That's nice. Is that really what badgers eat? They are very big fans of earthworms. Really? Oh, like, okay. Big, big fans of earthworms. I always have to bring the the Figgy tax when I come to see you, Mir. <laughs> uh, he seems pleased, though. He always likes it when you come by because you spoil him. Well... I shall take care of the child. Um, it sounds like he might be back here this morning. We'll be off. Thank you again for your help. And he and the child leave. Didn't think I'd be adopting a child in the first episode, but I guess I am, so... <laughs> <laughs> when they leave, Mir starts scrubbing the blood from the floor of the shop to get ready for the day. She makes a cup of tea because there's... No way she's going back to sleep after all of that. She almost never does. As the sun rises, Mir sits down in her chair, gives Figgy a little bit more squirming worms for breakfast, and finishes her second cup. A few short minutes later, the newspaper boy takes her out of her thoughts and drops a stack of the ears of the city for her to restock her pile of papers that she lets her customers purchase. With that, she gets up, unlocks the door, changes the closed sign to open, and brings in her papers. 
and with that we fade. In the early morning, the sun has just begun to rise above Endrin Isle. And bells begin to toll, proclaiming it to be 7 a.m. As Vec blows a deep breath of air into his cup hands to warm them and pulls his collar high on his threadbare jacket, trying to block the early morning chill from creeping in. It's one of those days in springtime that starts cold and rainy, but should warm up by noon once the sun's had the chance to burn away the clouds. Vex steps out from the foyer of his tenement apartment building and begins his morning routine. Another walk through Old Corvosa from the Harbor District to Reef Claw Run Market in the frigid, freezing rain. This morning, he moves at a brisk pace, humming a song he heard the bard play last night at Jagare's Jug to try and ignore the wet cold sinking into his bones. He couldn't stay late last night. He never can. But that doesn't mean he woke up this morning feeling well either. Mid-walk, Vec raises a hand above his eyes and looks to the clouds. He can see the outline of the sun and knows that once the morning rain shower passes, today should actually be a decent day. As Vec makes his way deeper into the island, away from the wharfs and fisheries, he passes his least favorite establishment. A bastardization of an old temple to Aridin, with a wooden sign adorned with the moniker Exemplary Excrables, gaudily blinding the once masterful stonework winged eye of Aridin behind it. As he passes the establishment, an icy trickle of near-frozen rainwater dribbles down the back of his floppy hair, and he remembers he should probably get it cut again the very same moment the rainwater touches his collar and runs down his spine. Vec doesn't break stride as he mutters a curse upon the heathens who've taken up residence in the old building and spits into the gutter as he passes, drawing slight comfort that the rank taste of last night's bile now mars the steps in front of the accursed establishment. The despoiled temple behind him, again, Vec thinks back to the bard's tune from last night. Something about not being alone stood out to him in the song's chorus, but looking around at the city, dragging itself from sleep to the waterlogged streets, he sure feels alone today. Vec continues on away from old Corvos's shame, once again on track to make it to Reefclaw Run Market before the market officially opens for business and what he needs is sold out. He passes brothels, which used to be inns, opium dens that used to be taverns, and gambling halls which once were theaters for the arts. Despite his downtrodden mood and the freezing rain, Vex smiles sardonically to himself. Once upon a time, Old Corvosa used to be the shining jewel of the Varesian coast, a place where local wares and foreign goods could be exchanged in reputable markets. A different, more elevated type of commerce and culture once thrived here, before the poverty, corruption, and rot settled in. At least the town's having as tough of a time as he is. Finally, as the trickle of rainwater down his back turns into a torrent, Vec arrives at the market, mostly open-air fish market where nearly any catch from the sea imaginable and many treasures unimaginable are for sale. 
Pushing the shaggy, sodden hair back from out of his eyes, Vec inhales deeply and pulls on one of his best roguish half-smiles before stepping into Marjorie's elixirs and infusions. It may not be one of the best shops for alchemical supplies and remedies in Varesia, but a few flirtatious words with the cute girl behind the counter is the difference between paying full price for the supplies back near home and getting the supplies here with enough coppers left to afford lunch and a trim. Lately, being able to afford a midday meal is what Vet considers being lucky. So to him, the walk is worth the trek. Vec steps into the establishment, the door ringing the bell set into the frame. The same cute half-elf girl, as always, sits behind the counter, half of a blush rising in her cheeks upon seeing one of her favorite customers walk in. Well, hello there, Vec. What brings you... what brings you back? Cassie, love. It's good to see you again. Did you get all dressed up for me? <laughs> you know I wear the same thing when I'm on... when I'm at work. Oh, stop it. You're gonna make me blush just as much as you are. <laughs> and she kind of titters behind her uh, behind her hand, not knowing that you noticed her blush. Uh, well, well what, what can I get you? And he kind of, so he's standing at kind of the foyer right now, and he sort of like saunters up to the, the counter and like puts his forearm and elbow down and sort of leans up against it instead of like standing directly towards her. Oh, you know, just some of the usual. Gotta get some medicinals for the old grandpops. <laughs> it's so sweet that you're so close to your grandfather. <sighs> well, I-, I try. I do my best. Some days I feel like I'm doing better than others, but what can a man do but try, right? No, I agree. I'll, I'll head into the back and grab everything you need. And she scurries off, kind of giggling to herself and grabs several herbs and tinctures from the back. She comes back to the counter. And at this point, I think I I need you to put your money where your mouth is. Mm -hmm. Why don't you make me a diplomacy check to see if you can actually get this discount? (laughs) Oh, boy. Not good. He, uh, He does need the discount. So let's see what I can do here. First roll of the campaign for me. There we go. As she's coming back out, Vex kind of like looking around. He's still leaning up against the counter. And when she comes back, he makes it so that like his face kind of lights up. And maybe he kind of gives her like a half up down with his eyes. Like, oh, yeah, I'm looking because he's being flirtatious and he's got a 22 on that check. Ooh. With a 22, Vex actually saves 25%. So uh, a pretty decent chunk of change on the on what he was attempting to buy. <laughs> Vec, it's, it's a little warm in here, isn't it? Uh, I'm surprised you have so many buttons buttoned. <laughs> this, this all just came off the street and it's a hell of a day outside. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's just me then. Uh, maybe, well, maybe it's just both of us, you know what I'm saying. I I can't let a man like you leave with uh, without some kind of discount. I want you to keep coming back. Here, take take 25% off. Um, it's for your grandpa, right? Of course. Of course. And the it, discount's not why I come back, love. <laughs> well, that's sweet of you to say. And she, you know, you, you save yourself at this point about uh, 10 coppers. 
which, uh, you know, normally this wouldn't have been this. I mean, this would have been about a four to five silver type deal, relatively expensive for someone like you to get these herbs and medicines for your grandpa. But mm-hmm. uh, that's a pretty d- significant savings for you. Of course. Yeah. So the transaction complete, Vex steps back out into the mid-morning weather and checks his bag. Raindrops continue to fall, but it looks like everything that he needed is there. Enough medicinal elixirs to bring back to his grandfather to help him sleep soundly this week and keep what's left of his wits about him. Vex takes one more step out into the street before his hair falls into his eyes again, and he ponders. Oh, I guess lunch fest. Then I think it's time for that haircut. And so Vec ventures down Reefclaw Market, uh, and as he does, the rain goes from a, not a downpour, but like a steady rain to a drizzle, to a fog, to sunshine. And he looks around for a meal. At this point, it's truly a lucky day for Vec. You don't have to subsist off of the dock dumplings that you normally have to eat, which you know are just this kind of fish slurry uh, from the from the remnants of a good day's catch. You can buy something tasty with that. Ooh, well, we're in this uh, this it, reef claw market is kind of this uh, this place where a lot of the uh, a lot of fish come in. Exactly. It's right on Old Dock. And uh, although you're a little bit inland, it's where the fishers from the docks on Old Dock bring a lot of their catch. Vex got a hankering for a little fish and chips, baby. Yeah, I think you could definitely purchase that with your extra copper, your jangling purse, so it were. So you buy a fish and chips for yourself and... Your shopping went well this morning. You have a little bit of time mm-hmm. to chill. And so I think maybe you sit down on a on a bench and just kind of watch the market go by as you enjoy your lunch. Yeah, and and he's kind of slouched back in, on this bench, kind of like diagonal back, right? Like his butt's like kind of at the edge of the seat and his shoulders are back up on the on the tail end of the the bench. He looks kind of relaxed, one one leg kind of askew, the other propped up, and he's just eating fish and chips and kind of enjoying the market. Yeah, so as you look around you, you see, yes, various fresh fish peddlers. Uh, some peddlers of trinkets kind of catch your eye. Some things maybe dredged up from the Jagare River. Interesting pieces, but maybe not things that are super valuable. As you look around, you do see a woman here. She has cropped blonde hair into kind of like a pixie cut and she's painting which is something you don't often see at reef claw market it's a little odd to have artists here amongst all the smelly fish okay make me a perception check all right let's see what i can do here wow vex got a perceptive eye today that's a dirty 20 with a dirty 20 you're kind of watching this woman because she's different. It's it's different to see her here at the market and you come here most every day. And you notice her eyeing you a little bit. Like she, she'll look up from her painting intermittently and just take a glance at you and then she 
begins to to paint again. All right, so for those of you who don't have like a good picture of what what Vec looks like in your heads, maybe you didn't listen to my intro or whatever. He is cast as Robert Pattinson. He's a very good-looking dude. He's wearing gray pants, sort of a, a navy Henley with a um, with a green kind of shirt jacket over that. He's a he's a human, but he's got bright bright kind of Game of Thrones White Walker blue eyes. So something's off about him. He's not probably 100% human, but he's a he cuts a good figure. And as he sees this woman eyeing him, what he's going to do is actually pop that shirt jacket off and throw it over his shoulder because it's starting to warm up a little bit. And that's just kind of soaked from absorbing a lot of the rain anyway. And he's going to saunter over. Couldn't help you uh, saying that you were taking an eye at me, miss. And normally that's no problem here, but I don't see a lot of artists in this marketplace. (laughs) What's an artist like you? got eyes on a guy like me for I was I was waiting for someone like you to come over you know I I don't really get good subjects when I'm when I'm painting at Reefclaw Market usually I'm painting the, the fish that come in for the day but I noticed you over there enjoying your lunch and I just thought I don't know I, I haven't painted a subject like you in a while and painted someone like me. As you turn the corner of her canvas, you can see that there's a half-done kind of portrait of you as you've been sitting there. She's sketched you out on the bench. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I know it's it's quite awkward for uh, to to get your portrait painted without uh, you know without me asking first. But I just. I was gonna, I was gonna come over if you didn't. I wasn't expecting you to come over here. I was gonna come over and and give it to you. Uh, when now, you now, now hold, hold on there, Miss. I must admit, of course, I'm flattered. Anybody would be. This is this is shaping up to be a gorgeous painting of myself. But I've had this con run on me before. Just because you're painting me now doesn't mean I'm paying you later. You can't just produce goods without me signing off on them and then expect me to pay for them. If you're running, if you're running a job on me, it's not going to work. I'm sorry. Yeah, so does Vec have society or lore corvosa? So I do not have society, but what I do have is a mercantile lore. Mercantile lore would Ooh, be great. Why okay. don't you roll me a mercantile lore? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm worried she's kind of sucking me in to, like, make me pay for something that I didn't want in the first place. <sighs> Beck knows a thing or, t- or two about... Uh, <laughs> you guys are rolling hot today. Mercantile Lord, no kidding. Um, now, my bonus to this is not good. It's only a plus three, but with a natural 19 on the die, that's a 22. Damn. Yeah, with the 22, the quality of this painting, you recognize... Uh, and you recognize it because you're a citizen of Corvosa. You think this might be the artist that recently did the portrait of King Eadred II? And if so, she's clearly not wanting for your coin. What what does that mean? Was that a particularly good portrait? Is she a sought-after artist? Uh, do you know how 
presidents get a portrait of them done while they're in office. Yeah. You think this was that portrait for Dang. the Wow. And so this artist, uh, it makes sense why you probably haven't seen her around this area, uh, but the just looking at the sketch and beginnings of the paint on the picture of you, it looks like it lines up pretty well with that portrait. And so you, you, you highly doubt she would charge you. And so maybe it's quiet between us for a second. And as he sees the portrait, he just goes, no, no. Yep. You're Trinia. You painted King Adred. And she, not bad work. She reaches out a kind of paint stained hand to shake yours. You you have a great eye. I, my name's Trinia Sabor. I, and yours? Well, I'm Vicarus Railby, but you can call me Vic. Vic. That's a nice name. Yeah, I just, I don't often get interest in subjects, and so I thought I'd head to the market today to just paint, just enjoy myself. Things have been stressful since I... <laughs> But weirdly enough, since I did that painting, it's just, you get people, minor nobles wanting to, want to get a portrait from you, and, and I'm just, I don't work that quickly. So this is you taking a step out of the public eye, kind of mingling with the rest of us here in Old Corvosa. Right. Huh? And uh, you just, I don't know, you, you looked like maybe you needed a, you needed something like this today. I don't know, you just, you don't strike me as someone that's, I don't know, in good spirits. No offense. Well, no offense taken, you got me pegged, missus. I'm, uh, I've had better days. In fact, I've had better years. Well, it's miss, but... Oh, is it now? I do appreciate, um, I appreciate you coming over. If you don't mind finishing your lunch, I could, I could try and... It'll be rough, but I could try and finish this and send you home with it if you want. Hmm. Well, if this truly is no sort of scam, you are who you say you are. By all accounts, it seems like you are. I had an appointment for later today that I could push back an hour or two. Yeah, of course. I'll sit around with well, you. <laughs> don't don't make yourself late, but I yeah, I'd love that. Um, oh no, my my appointment won't mind. She loves me. And so Trinia would continue to paint you. She just kind of, you know, you enjoy your lunch in the market at this point, and I imagine you go back over to her before before leaving. But with that, we fade and enter in on another area of old Corvosa. But this time, a much grander area, not the sodden poverty of old docks. Instead, we enter in on the Orsini Academy, the famed sword school in Old Corvosa. Its large oak doors carved with an imp and a pseudo-dragon locked in mortal combat are not enough to block out the noise. The sound of swords clanging and crashing and the soft shuffle of feet can be heard at all hours of the day and into the night. Today, 
the noise is coming from a practice field, with neat rows of students dressed head to toe in white uniforms and mesh helmets. Opposite to the students are a row of practice dummies. The student instructor walks among them, instructing one to be mindful of your movements, Sylvia, and another recover with good balance and form, slow down. A bell rings off to the side of the room, and the instructor calls out, Pair up for sparring practice! Students quickly pair up, leaving two young women matched up by process of elimination. The two were virtually identical, besides the family crests embroidered on their uniforms. The young woman with the sword and crown of House Zenderholm approaches the woman with the broken rune lock crest of House Fordyce. From behind her helmet, she sneers. Prepare to be humiliated, Sylvia. Sylvie tries to remain focused. You're lucky they still make us use practice foils, otherwise you'd be with the healers again. At least this way, it would be less scandalous. If it was not for my life to fixate on, you'd bore yourself to death. Quit delaying. They circle each other and stand five feet apart at the ready. The instructor calls out, On guard! They raise their foils. Et vous prit? They take their stance. Allez! And the students spring into action. The room fills with the shuffle of feet and ringing of clashing metal. Each pair of students remain focused on their own spar. Sylvie wastes no time quickly closing the gap between her and Camilla. She lunges at Camilla's shoulder, drawing a high parry that blocks her attack. Camilla responds quickly and predictably with a high line riposte. Sylvie's smile is hidden by her helmet as she makes her own parry by pivoting her blade under Camilla's weapon, putting Camilla's tip off target. With a simple flick of the wrist, Sylvie moves her foil upward, directly into Camilla's unguarded chest. The two are still for a moment as Camilla looks down and sees a red chalk dot in the middle of her chest. That was dumb luck. Zenderholm always beats four dice. Best two out of three. Stuck in the past. Sylvie shakes her head. I'll never turn down an opportunity to trounce you. One day it will be more than just on the practice field. The two spring back into action, matching each other move for move. The room is brimming with cheers and instructions as students continue to spar. At this point, you guys are going round for round. I'd like you to make an acrobatics check as Camilla swings directly at your wrist in an attempt to disarm you. Ooh, all right. Here we go. Okay, with a 17. With a 17, you dodge it artfully. The blade swings right under where your hand used to be. Now, you duck low, and you swing for the fences here. Go ahead and make me an athletics check as you attempt to sweep Camilla's legs. All right. Oh, she is in the zone now. That is a 22. With a 22, you hit the back of both of Camilla's knees, and she crumples backwards, losing her balance and her sword as she falls to the ground. Best two out of three. Sylvie. Woo! Yes! (laughs) After some time, the bell rings again, and the students lower their foils. 
Sylvie removes her helmet, letting down long, straight hair split down the middle, half brown and half white. Her mismatched violet and brown eyes are highlighted by her hair. Students begin to group up, chatting about the practice. Sylvie looks around at the groups of her peers, but instead of joining, she makes a beeline for the locker room. She quickly changes out of her padded white school uniform and into a puffy sleeve shirt with a brown leather vest and well-tailored brown pants, completing the look with a crimson cloak clasped with the four-dice sigil, a split black and white broken lock encrusted with runes. She takes a moment to smooth out the wrinkles of her cloak. It's well-made, but is showing signs of wear. It's not nearly as vibrant as the other cloaks hanging in the locker room. Sheathing her rapier by her side, she sneaks out onto the practice field as the rest of the students head to the mess hall. You're attempting to do this stealthily, correct, Emily? Yes, she does not want to be noticed by the other students. So why don't you go ahead and make me a stealth check? All right. That is a 19. So with a 19, you see the gaps in groups of students heading the mess hall and you manage to sneak in between two of them out skirting the edge of the practice field and unfortunately although you've passed the students sitting on the ledge is someone you didn't expect to see today you recognize the man as Vencarlo Orsini the owner of Orsini Academy He rarely shows himself in sparring practice, especially with students as new as you and some of the others you spar with are. But he does call out to you. He's sitting up here. He has kind of a, a tanned glow about him. He's wearing a loose black kind of flowy, much like yours, shirt and leather pants and his hair is graying at the temples, his mustache also kind of like gray at the tips. Sylvie, where is it you think you're going? I am just going for a walk. Yes, that is what I am doing here. Mm. So, Sneakly, why would you need to sneak around Orsini Academy? You're not a stranger here. I am no stranger, but I do not always fit in here with the other students. Well, I have noticed that. And you don't wish to have lunch with the rest of the students. Everyone is headed to the mess hall as far as I know. There is something I need to do before I can enjoy my lunch. At that, he kind of cocks his head, interested. And he drops down interesting feet from a 10-foot high balcony. He tumbles and writes himself standing five feet away from you. Well, I would be very interested in whatever is so pressing for one of my star pupils. With this, she looks down at her hands and is like getting a little bit more nervous now that She's actually speaking with the head of this academy who she has not had much interaction with uh, and doesn't feel like she can hide the truth any longer. There is something I need to investigate. You 
may have heard of what happens with me and my friend, Amy. Well, I tried to ignore it on your family's application for you to learn here. You know, I, I really don't like to take a student's past and hold it against them. That I appreciate. Unfortunately, I cannot just leave it be. I almost died, and my friend Amy was not so lucky. We got in over our head with Shivers. We thought we were so young and invincible that, of course, nothing could happen to us. As, as you do when you're young and nearly invincible. The trouble is, I know who is responsible, and I must find them and stop their whole operation so this does not happen to other people. Sylvie, I've lived in Old Corvosa a long time. Who, who is responsible for, for what has happened to you? And you promise you're completely clean from shiver. I have sworn it off after what happened. I need to make the world I want to live in, not escape from it. I am doing my best. Right now, what is driving me forward is finding Gedren Lam. He is responsible. Gedren Lam. An old man, the end, and I'm saying that as, you know, I'm not in my prime anymore, but... I have heard, if you're looking to track down the shiver distribution in town, the traveler is a is a bar that might be interesting to you. I think that there, from what I've heard from my contacts in Old Corvosa, there is a covert shiver operation happening there. I can tell that you have uh, you have the heart of a good person. You want to do what's right for you and for your friends and I just you are so new here. You must be careful if you're going to seek out a criminal element in Nord Corvosa. Many of you noble children are so sheltered. You just... <laughs> one one issue and you come crying to mommy and daddy. I hope that's not how you are. A bit of frustration flashes across her face as she doesn't want him to underestimate her. So she responds... I have not had it easy as these other lordlings. My life has been more difficult from the start. I am confident that I will have no trouble here. I must investigate. And so, then Carlo Orsini pulls a dagger from his belt. Make a perception check. Oh, only a nine. Yeah, with a nine, you notice that this is the first time you've ever seen him without gloves. Oh. 
Well then, if I am to let you leave into the streets of Old Corvosa, prove it. And guard. Oh. She takes a battle stance with her rapier. Oh. Et vous prête? She takes her stance. Allez. She springs into action. And the two enter a battle, but more like a dance, as Vincarlo Orsini deftly dodges your strikes, one after another, and it seems he gets into a rhythm. Anytime you try and change it up, he reads you. He makes a show of parrying your rapier with his dagger. Mm. Make me an attack roll. All right. 18. With an 18, Vincarlo maybe gets a little bit showy. He spins, uh, and you manage to nick his black, flowy shirt. <laughs> Sylvie, I was not expecting you to be able to do any damage to me. This is this is quite interesting. At this point, you do see he's wielding the dagger with three fingers. It appears he has stumps for a third and fourth. Oh. The clanging continues, and he just trips you once, pushes you over another time, disarms you with just his dagger a third. But each time he pulls you up with a smile, you may not be ready to fight me, but you can handle yourself among the thugs of old Corvosa. I give you my blessing, but be careful. Make sure you make it back to class. She bows, saying, It does appear I still need to attend my courses. And you head off into Old Corvosa to the Traveling Man, the bar that you've learned potentially has a connection to Shiver. We turn now to a different scene entirely. Corvosa City Hall is an impressive stone building nestled in the North Point District, a towering model of the architecture the city's known for. Beyond the cool tiles of its atrium and behind a set of heavy oak doors that a line of common folk are queuing to enter, two very different parties sit across a large table. The first, a row of four men dressed in the deep red attire of Corvosan magisters, the emblems of their office pinned to their breasts, and ponderous leather-bound tomes of records and decrees sprawled before them. In front of them, a group of three. A human and a large, muscled catfolk flank an older man, the weathered creases of his face bordering sightless, milky white eyes. Each of the three's faces appear freshly painted, clad in pristine hide and furs, with their dress accented by an array of bone-white talismans, pattern wraps, and other ornamentation, as if each intricate detail were chosen with purpose. The once freshly inked pages of the open ledgers have dried as the conversation draws to a close. The elder Shawanti statesman stands first, followed by his companions and the magisters, as both parties lead forward to clasp hands. 
Attendants open the doors to the atrium, and the three are ushered out as the next group is called in. The Shuanti step out into the sunlight of the day and the worn cobble of the North Point District. Turning to the north and looking outside of town. I hope, Diego, that you have seen from our conversations with the Corvosan government that we can find peace. We will find peace with our people. Many years have you spent in discussion with these people. What makes you think now that there will be any difference of significance? I feel the city is at a turning point of sorts. King Yidrid has provided the peace that the city has needed for a long enough period of time. The Shuanti, we have not been aggressive towards the city in many years. I think the time is right for a burying of the hatchet of sorts between our groups. This is our native land, but we can expect an entire city to move somewhere else. We need to find peace with the people of this land. I pray your optimism rings true. I feel the tension in the borderlands simmer, and I hope it doesn't stir to a boil. We've had enough violence over these years. You are new to Corvosa, newer than I. The city can be a different experience from the Cinderland. I hope you will learn much while we are here. I've brought you here to not only help me, aid me in these peace talks, but get you familiar with peoples beyond our tribe, beyond the Skoanqua. You see, obviously, I love you as a son, Diego, but you will never rise to the ranks of a shaman among our people. Somewhere like Corvosa, you could ascend to greatness. I believe bringing you here gives you that opportunity. I trust in your guidance. I am grateful that your advocation of my myself into the tribe is, has gotten me where I am. If you think a future for me is is destined within these these strange streets of which I am unaccustomed. I hope to grow accustomed with them and and understand these people for who they are. In time, you shall. And during this time, the other man, a much younger man than even you, 
uh, but also a Shawanti man. He has remained silent. He seems a little shaken up. Uh, you know, this is um, Thousand Bones, the man you've been conversing with. This is his grandson, Gakin. And you actually grew up with Gakin's father. So you know him quite well. Mm. He is of age to be a man. But he's been in Corvosa for even less time than you. And he seems a little bit overwhelmed by the sights and the sounds and the official nature of your meeting in town hall. Diego clasps a large fur paw over Gakin's shoulder and says to him, I know that your first experiences in this place can be overwhelming. I know of a place that may temper a man's spirits. And perhaps a bit later we go there to, to unwind. I appreciate that, Long Shadow. I am a bit taken aback by everything I've witnessed in this past month. It has been difficult. And he motions to his grandfather my grandfather seems so comfortable but does not offer me the same comfort he has the experience that we do not yet although I have spent a little more time here than you I I understand what you're you're feeling there is a place where we shall we shall go to talk about what has happened. Well, the three of you walking through the streets of Corvosa are kind of an odd sight. And many heads turn to follow you in passing. The hustle and bustle kind of drowns out the hushed whispers of people as they watch you pass by. But a man in the crowd is less subtle. And he accosts the three of you as you pass. Boy! Why don't you horses head back to the Cinderlands? Corvosa's no place for you filthy Shawanti. Diego, the anger bubbles in you. You're here to be the protector of a man who just wants peace. But people like this really just rub you the wrong way and you glare over at him what do you do you know I think as, as a large cat foe Diego is probably a full head taller than him so like the impudence of him to just turn and say these things has, has irritated him so I think he he moves over to confront him and, and looms over him and says even in these lands I expect those to respect the elders wherever they come from your words have no place in this city. And I think he would try to intimidate this man. Yeah, probably. go ahead and give me an intimidate. That's only a 13. Okay, with a 13, the man looks at you. <laughs> you make a great show of sucking up to the horses. Big cat man. You don't belong with them as much as they don't belong in the city. Dago's hands tense to his weapons and he feels as if he's about to surge forward. 
Make an acrobatics check. That's an awful roll. That's a 10 total. You tense to your weapon and miss the telltale signs of this man hawking back as he spits in your face. Before you can draw your weapon like a shadow, Thousand Bones is on you. He presses a hand to your chest. He kind of has to almost reach up. Diego, this is not the way. How can we expect to find peace if we cannot treat our greatest enemies with respect? This is no need for violence. He pulls out like a handkerchief and offers it to you. Diego accepts, trying to calm himself as he wipes the spittle off his face. These people are insulated by this city. They know not of what happens beyond this walls. They know not of situations beyond, beyond their perception. I have not taught you the concept of Nalrest, but I will instill it with you now. It is one of the greatest honors among all tribes, not just the Skoanqua, to become Nalrest with your enemy. It means honorary sibling. What I hope to forge in Cor- Corvosa is Nalrest with these people, these colonists who took our land. Let them not be our enemy forever. Let them be our friends and a part of our strength. You must know restraint in order to allow this to happen, to allow us to repair the strained relationship between their people and ours. I think Diego still feels this rage inside of him at the slight, but upon listening to Thousand Bones' words, he he tries to sort of calm the tempest within him. I will heed your counsel. I I still have much to learn from you. He gestures to you and Gakin. My sons, you have had a stressful day. I will be fine heading to our encampment. Do not worry for me, but find yourselves enjoyment in this city. Diego, you've been here longer than Gakin. Take him somewhere to relieve the stress you've built up for the day, and then meet me back home. Diego nods and steers Gaken towards some other far-off destination. Yeah, so you've been in Corvosa for a while, Diego. Not years, but, but a decent amount of time. And you've realized that, surprisingly of all places, an area that where people don't judge you and don't, uh, don't whisper behind your back and leave you alone is actually a tavern in old Corvosa, and you've taken to going there, even though you're not maybe going to enjoy the libations, because people don't seem 
as prejudice against the Shawanti there. Mm. It's called the Traveling Man. Then there we travel. And I think on that note, we'll continue the curse campaign next time. The Bestow Curse Podcast is a Hideous Laughter Productions show. Hideous Laughter Productions is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Curse of the Crimson Throne is copyright 2016. Curse of the Crimson Throne and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. Paizo, Pathfinder, their respective logos, and all Paizo titles, characters, and artwork are properties of Paizo Incorporated and used with permission. 